This is a CNA podcast. We're all guilty of it. All of us have wasted food. Maybe we took too much from the buffet line, or maybe thrown out a piece of fruit that looked less than perfect. I know I have. And it might not seem like a big deal, but according to the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization, if food loss and food waste were a country, it would be the third biggest source of greenhouse gas emissions on the planet. Hello, and welcome to CNA Correspondent. I'm your host, Teresa Tang. This is the podcast where our network of correspondents shine a light on stories from wherever they are in the world, bringing you behind and beyond the headlines. On today's edition, we sink our teeth into the fight against food waste in Indonesia with our correspondent, Johnny Vadvani. Looking at the numbers, we see that food waste in Indonesia is still very high. Indonesia is still the second biggest food waster in the world. That was Chogito Ergo Sumari Rasan, General Manager of Food Cycle Indonesia, speaking to Chadni about food waste. And Chadni joins me now from Jakarta. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. Hi, Teresa. It's nice to be here. Now, Indonesia is home to 275 million people, so it's no surprise a lot of waste ends up in the landfill. But what is surprising is one study found 40% of the total waste generated in some communities is actually food waste. Why is that, Chadni? That really seems like a significant amount. Can you break it down for us? It is a significant amount. And I visited landfills for Jakarta and Bekasi in the greater Jakarta area. And I found out that Jakarta dumps some 7,500 tons of trash per day, where food makes up over 50%. For the landfill in Bekasi, I was told that out of some 1,200 tons of trash a day, about 80% of it is leftover food. And those are really staggering figures. And in the course of doing these stories on food waste as well, I found that while there is no singular reason responsible, there are several factors. And the words I often heard while speaking to people were privilege, mindset, and lifestyle, all of which make ingrained habits really hard to break. You know, it's just easy for people to say, oh, I don't want this, or I'm going to throw it away, or I'll just buy more of this later. And another really common situation here is taking more food than you actually want to eat, or more than you require. Yeah, that's something that we're all guilty of, I think. You're maybe very hungry, and then you fill up your plate, and you realize you just can't finish it all. So a lot of data that you've shared with us, but that's only data that's been reported, right? In other words, the situation could actually be a lot worse. You're right. The situation is most likely a lot worse. We know and we've seen people living outside of the city very often burning their trash in their backyards or in an empty space not far from where they live. So it's a little gray when it comes to really accounting for how much food or food elements are actually being destroyed or wasted and thrown out. 
Yeah, I have to confess, when I go to the grocery store and I pick out my fruit and my vegetables, I look for imperfections. And if I see a blemish or a bruise, I put it down and it doesn't end up in my shopping cart. And I know that means that that piece of food might just get thrown out because no one else is going to buy it. There really is waste all along the food supply chain, isn't there, Chutney? 100%. And you know, that is part of the problem as well. And it goes back to our mindsets, right? I mean, we've all done it, not just you, Teresa. You know, we want the best looking fruit and vegetables for our families. We go to the supermarket. And as you mentioned, the slightest blemish, or if it looks ugly, so to speak, we put it right back down. Or we usually go take the ones behind (laughs) the queue. (laughs) In our minds, unblemished or not ugly, so-called is better. However, this is something that does need to shift in our minds. And just because a fruit or vegetable is bruised, it doesn't mean the nutrients disappear. It doesn't mean it loses its nutritional value. And what's been great in Indonesia is you have companies operating via online platforms that have taken the initiative to sell what we call ugly fruit and vegetables in efforts to cut back on food wastage. So that's been uh, really good in terms of efforts to mitigate this issue. Now, going back to the supply chain, I spoke with Food Cycle, an NGO which distributes surplus food from various sources, such as wedding parties, bakeries, corporate lunches, supermarkets, and of course, FMCGs. Now, what usually happens is companies selling food products have a limit as to what they can or cannot put on shelves. So to explain that better, for example, some companies If there is a surplus of canned goods, which is going to expire in, say, three months, instead of throwing it out, which is what usually gets done because it is not considered or deemed edible or fit to be on the shelf, they will now donate these goods to Food Cycle, who then works with other frontline NGOs to distribute it to those in need. So you've spoken to NGOs, you have been to landfills and seen and smelled what that's like. Since covering this story, have you changed your buying habits? Have you always been conscious of where your leftovers end up? I think I have been mostly conscious of my leftovers and my food buying habits. But I do have to admit that doing this story and just meeting all the people in different situations that perhaps don't have as easy access to food, I think I certainly am more aware now for sure. And I take even greater care and effort when it comes to food and especially food waste. I've been to a restaurant where they actually don't allow you to take leftovers home because they're worried about liability. They think that if you take it home in the process, it might go bad, there'll be bacteria, and then you're going to hold them liable. So I've stopped going to places like that. I've started bringing my own containers (laughs) so I can bring home food that I don't finish. And that's a good point that you make as well, Teresa, because that was one of the issues that cropped up in my discussions, speaking to people for the stories that I've been doing. And food liability or accountability is a big issue. And we spoke to a major fast food chain, and that was one of the concerns they had before they decided to go ahead and work with an NGO where they would give away 
the food. Now, this particular fast food chain actually has a time limit. So say, for example, if the chicken has been out sitting on display for, say, more than 80 minutes, they're required to throw it away. Wow. You know, we've consumed fast food. We take it home. It's gone in the fridge. We've consumed it the next day. <laughs> we've, we've never thrown it out after 80 minutes. But a big issue for them was who's going to take responsibility if we give this food away and if somebody consumes it and if they get sick, are we going to be responsible for that? And this is where the NGOs have come in. And one such NGO, the one that I spoke to, Food Cycle, they're the ones that have taken the responsibility upon themselves to check the food and to make sure that it fits the criteria and it is still edible. That's very important work, and it's a gap that clearly someone is filling now. It's hard to imagine, but once leftover food ends up in the rubbish bin, that isn't the end of the story. That food could still end up in someone's stomach. I want you now at home to listen to this. Meet Kisto. He scavenges for food and has been working at a trash landfill in the greater Jakarta area, separating waste for the last two years. I've been eating food here for two years and I rarely get a stomachache. But sometimes if I get something to eat from the snack stall, then I get a stomachache. If the food is from the dumping site, I don't get sick. And this surprises me. Chani, how did you find Kisto and how forthcoming were they when you asked them for an interview? You know, Teresa, believe it or not, he was just in front of my eyes and we actually saw him. He works at the trash landfill and he separates the waste. He picks apart the plastic and collects the plastic to sell. And there he was just separating the plastic when he came across an orange and then he just wiped it on his pants and he peeled that same orange and he just ate it. And he was just doing all of this right in front of us. And he wasn't the only one. All of the people that worked there as separating the plastic and the waste, we saw another man find a watermelon that had literally, we saw this watermelon in the truck that had just come in. And in fact, we were told to come there at a specific time, which is when all the trucks come in from the daily markets. And that is when all the people working there, that's the time that they gather and they actually wait and then they pick apart what comes into the landfill and they take a look at it. And if they deem it safe for their consumption, they just take it home. I mean, it was really interesting because, of course, sometimes you may be aware of these things or you may not be aware of these things, but to see it in front of your eyes happening as you go, I think it really does put a shift in your mindset and it really makes you question the things that you maybe thought you knew and the things like safety, things like what we consider safe to eat, things like hunger, all of these things came into question, at least for me personally, at that very moment. And I also saw besides the orange, he had safely tucked away a packet of krupuk. Krupuk is crackers. And he had opened the packet during the course of our interview and he started munching away on them. And he even offered me, and he said, Mbak, would you like to have some? And he did this with the biggest smile on his face. And he said, Daripada kalaparan, which means I'd rather eat this instead of going hungry. So that really was a major shift for me. And it really put things into perspective, I have to say. Now, in terms of how open he was to speaking with us, he was very, very open. And he said, this is my life. In the beginning, I did used to feel ashamed. The word he used was malu. He said, I used to feel ashamed to eat this in public, but I'm working here. I'm here as early as 5 or 6 a.m. And I go home for an hour and then I'm back here until maybe 7 p.m. And I get hungry. 
And this is perfectly good food. It doesn't smell bad. It doesn't taste bad. The fruits, a lot of bananas get thrown out and he just takes the banana, he peels them off the landfill and he eats them. And he says, you know, they have the skins on and they're just a little bruised. They're not bad inside. And at least I have sustenance. I'm hungry. His story gave me chills the way that you explained it. I could see him in the landfill and it really reminds you food waste has a face to it. Chadney, one issue around food insecurity that not everyone recognizes, there actually is enough food to feed the planet's population. But one of the issues is access to that food. And it's leading to health concerns such as stunting in children. And you spoke to one mother who says she isn't always able to provide a balanced meal for her kids. That's right. Based on the results of the Indonesian Nutrition Status Study of the Ministry of Health, the prevalence of stunting for Indonesian toddlers hit around 24.4% in 2021. And this means that almost one in four toddlers is stunted. And if we look at provinces with the highest prevalence, so for example, East Nusa Tenggara, it still has figures over 30%, prevalence of stunting over 30% in some areas, putting it in a red zone when it comes to stunting. And as you mentioned, I did speak to a mother who said she wasn't able to always provide a balanced meal for her kids. She said sometimes she has rice, carbs, but she's not always able to provide the right protein and the right vegetables. But you know, one thing I do have to point out is again, this was very interesting for me to discover during the course of doing these stories is that a big assumption that we always make is that stunting has to do with lack of nutrition, which has to do with, again, access to food, perhaps poverty, socioeconomic status, and all of these factors. But what was really interesting to see was that a lot of parents that I had spoken to, they had good jobs, they had good homes, they were able to provide food for their children. They had access to the food in that sense, in terms of being able to provide. They were able to have access to obtain the food. But it was a mixture of the habits that they cultivated in raising the child. So, for example, another mother told me that I have all the food, but my child doesn't like to eat it. And this was an issue for her. So in order to get her child to eat, she would say, I'll just give my child the instant food. I'll give him biscuits or I'll give her instant noodles because it's just easier. And that's what my child likes. And as opposed to nutritious food. And that was very interesting for me. Let's take a listen because this is exactly what one of the moms I spoke to, Mariati, said to me as well. They also tell me to try and change my child's eating patterns and the way I give food to my child. We do try and follow the advice from the health workers, but our daughter is a picky eater. And this is something you and I can totally relate to, Chani. We're both young mothers. We both have toddlers at home. And I know it's such a stress when they're not growing well and they're not eating what you want them to eat. So what is Indonesia doing to help mothers like Mariati make sure that their kids grow up healthy? Well, we visited East Nusa Tenggara as well and to take a look firsthand at what was being done. And as I mentioned, one of the factors that was very surprising for me was that 
access was not an issue. However, it was about healthy parenting styles and encouraging children to have a healthy relationship with food. And another issue that we did observe was sanitation. Sanitation is an issue in certain parts of Indonesia, and that, of course, can lead to problems such as children having worms or children falling ill. And when they have these issues and they fall ill, that, of course, then doesn't encourage them to want to eat food properly because they don't have an appetite because they're sick or they have worms and therefore they're losing weight because of diarrhea and so on and so forth. Now, one thing that was really great to see on the ground was when we actually got there, we happened to be very fortunate to be able to partake and observe as well in a training course that had been set up for mothers by the local health facility. Now, what happens in those training courses, and especially in the one that we attended as well, is that you have nurses who are sitting amongst expectant mothers, and they're sitting there with material research and interesting pictures, a wealth of information, and they're explaining to them, hey, moms, this is stunting. This is what your child is at risk of if you don't have a healthy meal. Because it's not just the child. What we heard from several people there, as well as this, if they had money, they would spend it on cigarettes as opposed to nutritious food. Because in their minds, my child is a picky eater. She's not going to eat this anyway, or he's not going to eat this anyway. Oh, but we need cigarettes. And Tete specifically, or East Nusa Tenggara, there is a very high coffee consumption. It's coffee and cigarettes. And what was very shocking for me to discover is they would give the children coffee. I'm telling this to you right now, and I know that you were shocked as well as I was at that time, but this goes back to lifestyle and mindset, and these are issues that are very deep-rooted and hard to change for authorities there as well. So authorities have been working very hard to try to change this mindset by encouraging and telling people that stunting is not a you problem, it is an us problem. It is a problem for all of us in the hopes that if the mindset shifts and people realize and recognize that it is not just a singular person's problem, it is a collective problem. Much more needs to be done, but at least clearly there are steps being taken in the right direction. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Chadni. Thank you for a great conversation. Thank you, Teresa. Happy to be here. The TV version of CNA Correspondent airs on CNA every Wednesday at 9.30 p.m. You can also catch up with them whenever you like on cna.asia. Follow this podcast version that takes you behind the scenes with our correspondents so you'll know when a new episode is out. Our podcast team is made up of Daniel Lee, Crispina Robert, Clara Ong, and me, Teresa Tang. Thank you for listening.